Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Hello, today I have with me Crystal Heitzma, the parenting coach. We connected on Instagram and we just connected, I guess, in the literal sense. So thank you for coming to be on the Family Brand Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we connected. When we connected, both of our kids were in Hawaii at the same time, and we were like trying to get them together before they left. (laughs) Maybe it'll work next time. Next time. I know. I think our oldest, Tate, I think he was like, you want me to meet up with a stranger? (laughs) (laughs) My son too. He was like, what? I'm like, don't worry. You'll be friends. It's fine. (laughs) Next time. You're right. Okay. So Crystal is a parenting coach and I, again, just love everything that she shares. And I think that I could learn a lot from her today and you can too. So I'd love to just jump in to the episode. Mm -hmm. What, so Crystal, tell me a little bit about what it is that, that you do as a parenting coach and kind of your approach. Yeah. So I call myself a parenting coach. I'm actually a certified life coach. So I certified through a company called the life coach school. They do a lot of like mindset stuff. And then I've taken some kind of extra trainings to learn a little bit more about emotions and kind of some somatic stuff, which all of that really means is I help parents parent in the way that they really want to. So I love spending time with my kids. I love being with them. We love each other. We spend a lot of time together, but it wasn't always that way. I wanted it to be that way. And like in my mind it was, but like the actual reality of like us spending time together wasn't always like that. Like my kids would spend a lot of time fighting. I was really tired. I was impatient. Mm -hmm. I have some kids with some diagnoses that make parenting them pretty difficult at times, sometimes extremely difficult. And so we were dealing with all of that for years. And I kind of knew how I wanted to parent like pretty early on into my parenting journey. My oldest is 16 and my youngest is six. And when my oldest was just a few years old, I found Dr. Gordon Neufeld's book, hold on to your kids. And it talks about this entirely different way of parenting than how we were raised. And it was actually my parents who gave it to me and said, this is a very different way than we raised you. And like, it's so much better. And you should read this book. Interesting. Yeah. And they took me to some of his courses and I was able to meet him. And anyway, so that was awesome. But I felt like now I had this like even higher expectation of myself and no way to actually like do it. Like the books kind of explain the philosophy and the theory. I've read so many books, but I never could figure out how to like align those two things. Like, how do I actually parent in this way that I want to now, even like, I totally believe it. Like I read the book and was like, yes, like this is what's needed in the world, but felt like it was such a struggle. So For years, I just struggled and struggled and struggled until we kind of hit rock bottom. We were living across the country. I live in Canada. So we were living in Quebec, which is like the French side of Canada, way over on the East. Didn't know anybody uh, at all. Didn't know like the language or just anything, had no community there yet. And we had really just, were in a really, really tough spot with, especially my relationship with one of my, one of my sons. And so that was kind of the time where I finally like started to get some help, hired a therapist started reading more of these books, but in kind of a different way, like in, in shifting more of my perspective around like me, like, what am I bringing into this relationship and what's going on with me and how can I change me? And I don't think I had before that. I think I like really thought that the reason parenting was so hard was because my kids were so hard and that they needed to change in order for me to show up in the way that I wanted to. So Fast forward, all of that has changed and I love spending time with them and everything's awesome. And it still can be hard at times for sure. And there's definitely challenges and like, there's definitely still meltdowns, especially for my six-year-old right now, but I feel so much more well-equipped to handle them. I'm just generally more patient, more what I talk about now is emotional regulation. I've learned emotional regulation, which isn't something I had before. And things are just so much better. And so that's what I help people get to now is if they, maybe they feel pretty good about their parenting, but they want to like increase their parenting skills, or maybe they feel like they really want to parent in a different way, but aren't really sure how to do that. And that's where I come in. 
Parenting is so interesting. I mean, <laughs> it's like you never does any, I'm just thinking for myself. I don't think there's ever a day where I'm not like, oh, I, I did that perfectly today. Like I just was the perfect parent today. It's, it's so confronting so often. Yeah, it is because it's so triggering and we can dig into that too, but that comes from our own childhood, but there's so many little things that our kids do that trigger us. And then we don't feel like we showed up in the way that we wanted to, but honestly, I feel great about my parenting now because I understood that like perfectionism isn't what I'm going for. Mm -hmm. And like, it's actually amazing when I show my kids how to fail because I show them how to fail gracefully, where I come back and I apologize and I reconnect and I take emotional, personal responsibility for what I did, which wasn't really the way that we were taught. And that was, that was modeled to us. And so I actually, I feel amazing about my parenting all the time because I've lowered my expectations of myself and I'm a lot more patient and a lot more compassionate with myself. And then that like leaks out to my kids. So now, like, I think, I feel like I used to often go to bed at night and just be like, oh, like there was another bad day in the books again. Like, how can I finally show up in the way that I want to? And I don't ever feel that way anymore. And partially from, from lowering those standards. Cause I think we just have these impossibly high standards as moms. And also realizing that when I do lower those standards, it's easier for me to show up in the way that I want to with my kids. If I'm really hard on myself. I'm naturally going to be really hard on the people around me. And mm -hmm. if I want to be less hard on the people around me, it starts with being less hard on myself. I love that. Yeah, that's profound. Mm -hmm. I'd love to, let's maybe, I'd love to maybe back up just a second and talk. Will you tell us a little bit more about, I know you call your approach like connection-based parenting mm -hmm. um, and it's known by other names too. Will you just tell us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, I will. So I think the common names would probably be conscious parenting or gentle parenting. A lot of people hear that lingo going around. Some people call it attachment-based parenting. That's Dr. Gordon Newfelt. That's kind of his take on it is the attachment-based developmental relational theory or something. It's way too long. But anyways, I call it connection-based because what all of these things have in common really is that it's connection and relationship. Like that's it. Like, yeah, we want to be more conscious in our relationships with people, but it's because of connection. We want to be more gentle but it's really this it, connection is like the power, like that is where the power is in this relationship. So how it differs from traditional parenting is traditional parenting is often more authoritarian where we're using rewards, punishments, bribes, yelling, shame, fear. That's kind of the parenting that's been passed down to us for generations. And so we, that's often what we go back to what we default to, because it's like what we've always known. So relationship isn't first, it's not at the top of the, uh, at the thing there, right. It's like kind of controlling behavior. I call it behavior modification. So it's like, we're trying to modify the behavior and that's more important than relationship in authoritarian parenting models. So on the other side, we can sometimes swing to permissive where we see the parenting models that have been passed down. And we're like, no, I don't want to do that, but I don't know any other way. So now I kind of just throw my hands up in the air and I don't do anything, or I just give in, or I people please my kids, or I allow them to kind of have the rules and the boundaries and stuff. And I'm more just friends with them. And I see that often too, with people that are like, nope, don't want this. So let me swing to this. Or maybe my partner parents in a really opposite way of me so that I'm going to swing to the other way to kind of compensate there. So often we find ourselves somewhere on the spectrum between authoritarian and permissive. And I think of connection-based as being in the center. And it's like that sweet spot of like, relationship above all relationship is most important me modeling the behavior I want to see in my child. But also another big thing here is that we still have boundaries. Like it's not like, okay, there's no rules. I'm not going to enforce those boundaries through yelling, through bribes, through threats, through giving them more screen time or taking away screen time or whatever, like we usually do, but I still can have, I can still have those boundaries. So it's like, helping them to feel physically and emotionally safe and secure through the boundaries that we have through our relationship and then modeling all the things that I want to see in them. Okay. So I'm thinking like, I'll just get like real with my, <laughs> my, <parenting>. yes. <laughs> like my six-year-old just loves her screen time. And I'm like, mm -hmm. so when you say like, okay, it's so easy for me to go there with her and be like, mm -hmm. because she values it so much. It's easy to like, like you said, want a certain behavior and be like, yeah. oh, so this is gonna, uh, something that I know that I can essentially yes. wield power over her. Yes. Yes. And, <laughs> yes. 
So I'm like, yep. what, what do I do? Crystal help me. Oh, exactly. So you, she values it so much because she's attached. So an attachment doesn't mean just a person. We can be attached to a comfy blanket, to a stuffy. We can be attached to our cell phone as teens and adults. Typically there's lots of things that we have an attachment to. So what we're actually doing is we're like pulling her away from that attachment. We're like, you're attached to this. Let's take this. The only reason it works is because it's the thing that they want so badly. If you were to take away some like random toy, she doesn't care about, like it wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. So what we, our human need is connection. Everyone has a connection and belonging. That's like our deepest human necessity necessity. So as we're, as we're wanting this belonging, whether or not it's to an object or whatever, we're kind of using that against them. We're like, let me pull this away from you because that will work. So I always go back to like, why? Like, what is it that we're really trying to teach them? Right. We're going to like, what do I do? And how do I say, you know, like we want like the specifics, but like what, in what situation you can even go back to like a real life scenario. Like, why were we either giving her or taking away screen time? Like, what were you trying to, what was the outcome? I guess. I can't think of like a specific example, but it would be something Mm -hmm. like, oh, her job is to unload the dishwasher. She Mm -hmm. hasn't unloaded the dishwasher yet. So Mm -hmm. we, you can't have screen time because you haven't unloaded the dishwasher. Right. Good example. Yes. Yeah. That totally works. So yeah. Oftentimes it'll be like, it can be that it can be like hitting siblings. It can be yelling, lying, cheating, skipping school, like all the things. So we look at that as the problem and we're like, almost like our child's the problem because our child is doing that. So I like to separate my child from the problem. So like here we have like the dishwasher is unloaded and mm-hmm. here we have our six-year-old and like, why might she have not unloaded the dishwasher? What other reasons? I love that. that you're just like coaching me right here. <laughs> I'm like <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> She just doesn't want to, I feel like she's, I find her more challenging to parent than my other children because she was born like the day she was born. It was like, she wants to do things her way. And she just Mm -hmm. probably doesn't feel like it was, she probably wanted to watch her show first, or she just didn't feel Mm -hmm. like it or. Yeah. I don't know any other reason why other than she just, it wasn't in her timeline. Yeah. She wants to watch a show and not do the dishwasher. I mean, I'm like 37 and I want to watch a show and not do the dishwasher. Totally. Right. So reframing it for me helps me to show up in a different way when I'm like, okay, wait a second. She's actually just six. Of course she doesn't want to do the dishwasher. She's little, there's way more fun things to do. And even the skill of it, it might be missing. Like it might be hard for her to do every single thing that the dishwasher requires. We look at it as like unloading the dishwasher. If you have a child that's a little bit more sensitive, maybe they have ADHD or something, maybe they don't, but it can still be, there's a lot of different parts of it, right? You have to like open it up. You have to pull it out. You have to know where each things goes. There's like, even though it seems simple for us, it's only simple because we've done it so many times. And so it's like, how can I think about this situation so that I show up in a different energy as a parent? And that different energy will help me create a solution. So maybe I show up and I'm like, oh yeah, of course she doesn't want to do the dishwasher. She's six and there's other fun things to do. I might get down on her level and I might sit with her. I might look with her, look in her eyes and I might listen to her for a minute and just be like, oh yeah, it's not very fun. Is it? Oh, it it is really hard. Like there is a lot of pieces there that probably does feel really overwhelming. Maybe I give her a hug. Maybe we chat for a few minutes and then I might go over and help her with it. And I might say, let's go do this together. It won't, won't take any time. Right. But one of the important things there is that I was in a different energy mm-hmm. about it and I took time to connect. Yeah. So when I'm in a different energy, almost every single time I'm going to take time to connect. But when I'm thinking, I wish she would do this, like, this is going to be so much easier when she does it. Like, why isn't this done? Or this is so hard. Or even looking at these, like she's strong-willed or she's a little bit more difficult to parent or she's challenging all of the ways that we think that is what fuels how we feel Mm. and our emotions fuel our actions. So I'm looking at that for myself, right? Like even when my child was diagnosed, I have a child with high functioning autism and ADHD. And at first I felt a lot of compassion, but then I noticed my thoughts go to like, well, now this is limiting. And now he's never going to be able to do this. And what about this? And like, I noticed that my thinking totally shifted, even though I literally had the exact same child's 
Mm-hmm. It was, he was 11. So I'd have him for a long time, right? Nothing had actually changed, but the way that I started thinking about it. And so when I can look at each of my children and think, what am I thinking about them? Mm-hmm. What am I thinking about parenting them? What am I thinking about the dynamic? What am I thinking about me? Cause I'm bringing a lot of underlying baggage and beliefs from my own life into the situation and changing that so that I can change my energy. That's when different solutions will come like different creative, like let's do this together. Let's see how fast we can do it. Like, let's turn on a fun song and do it. Like instead of, I feel like so much parenting advice tells us what to do instead of figuring out how do we need to think and feel so that we create our own unique do. Yeah. Thank you for indulging my (laughs) actual real life example, but I'm like, that's, I don't know. It takes it from this like idea Mm-hmm. To like, okay, this is what it actually looks like. So I think that's right. Cause cool. normally we'd just be like threats, punishments, like let me yell louder or let me send you to your room or let me take away your screens or like whatever we do, we have those go-tos. Yeah. But that's all about trying to just get the outcome, trying to get them mm-hmm. to do something right. When we're really trying to teach them a skill, right. We're trying to teach them something. We're trying to teach them the skill of like not hitting their siblings or not throwing toys at people. Or when they're older, like doing their homework, being responsible. Like there's actual skills we're trying to teach. And when we use external things, we're not teaching that skill internally. Totally. I want to, um, ask you a little bit more about Gordon Newfeld. You, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to think when this would have been maybe like two or three years ago, uh, Chris and I did a family brand. It was like an in-person retreat. And one of the, um, one of the attendees mentioned this idea about like parent, I can't remember exactly how it was described, but basically that the way that the schools are designed now is that there's a lot of peer connection and why he felt it was more important, especially like in those, uh, teen years to have parent connection with a child rather than like peer to peer connection. I don't know if I'm describing this well, but when that woman said that to me, I'd love to have you go into more detail, but when she explained that to me at that retreat, I was like, that makes so much sense. And I was like resonated with that message Mm -hmm. so much. I'd love to, I saw you do an Instagram post about it. So I'm like, Oh, I'd love to hear you maybe describe that a little bit more. Yeah. That was the first book that I read. That's it's hold on to your kids. Why parents should matter more than peers or something like that. So when, back when my kids were like little, Um, and it resonated with me so much too. I'm like, yes. Like I like read the book and as I was, you know, when you're reading a book or you're hearing a concept for the first time and you're just like, your whole soul is saying, yes, you're like, yes. Like, I just know that this is true. And I, that's what I felt like through his whole book. But the concept you're talking about is called peer oriented attachment back in the day. And like, I think this is like before world war one ish times we, our kids used to attach to us more than to their peers. So like we, what attachment means is there's a lot of different roots of attachment, but it's like sameness and belonging. So like, I want to be like them and I want to be close to them and I care about what they care about. And I take their opinions and like, listen to them, right? Like that's what, what we see within attachment. And so kids used to be attached to their parents a little bit more naturally. Like that's just kind of what was happening. And sometime when industrialization and school systems and all these things are changing and shifting, I don't know exactly why I haven't heard much more about this, but at some point it switched to peer oriented attachment, which means that it's a lot more common for my child to have that same attachment I was just talking about, but with their peers instead of with me. So the problem with that, there's so many problems, but one is they're looking to this emotionally immature child for love, for belonging, for safety, for connection, for, should I act like this? Is this okay? Do they approve of this? How are they responding? Right? So can you imagine like a group of like 11 year olds or even 14 year olds, like they're looking at each other to how they should behave to whether or not that's okay. Like what they're doing, their behavior is okay or not. And also those attachments are so insecure. So what if somebody just decides like, well, I'm not friends with you anymore or whatever. And that's a primary attachment for them. That's like earth shattering. Yeah. So a primary attachment is like that main attachment that I have. And when I have that main attachment with my child, other difficulty, other, other difficult things will happen in life. Like maybe they'll be bullied. Maybe they'll, you know, have a friend pass away. Like hard things are still going to happen, 
But if I have that attachment with them, they're going to know that they have that safety and security and trust in my relationship with them. So he explains it as like the sun and like the earth. So like we want them orbiting around us as their son. We want them looking to us to how they, how they should behave and for that attachment and security and safety and love and belonging instead of them orbiting around another kind of like moving object that isn't really secure themselves. And so peer oriented attachment is the norm. So if we're not cognizant of relationship connection attachment, then this is just what is happening. So if you notice you have a teen or a tween or even a young adult that really wants to spend a lot of time with their friends, that cares a lot more about their friends than they do about your opinion or or the advice that you give them. I'm probably describing most people. This is kind of the norm, right? And I think the reason this happens is just because the sheer amount of time that they're spending together in these classrooms with people that are all together. I don't really know why that happens. So what he talks about is like, if we want to pull, switch that magnetic pull so that it's like me and my child, and they're looking to me to how they should behave and for that belonging and that attachment and connection, um, then how can I pull that them back into my sphere and that pulling back into my sphere in my mind is like relationship. Like, how can I build this relationship? How can I help them to feel both physical and emotional safety around me? and in our relationship. So it is, it can be tricky. It can, they can even go yeah. in and out. Like even Dr. Newfeld talks about this time when his daughter, his teenage daughter was, was dealing with a lot of difficulties and he could totally tell that she was really into the peer oriented sphere. And he was like, Oh, what can I do? But he t- also talks about parental intuition. Like what, what can I do? What solution can I create? So instead of going into like fear and shame and guilt, Mm-hmm. And if you're listening to this episode and you're like, shoot, my kids are there and it's too late. It's never too late. That's like research shows that it literally is never too late. You can change your relationship at any time. Our brains are neuroplastic. They're constantly changing and creating new neural pathways. So at any point you can shift that there's no age. That's too late. You've never like done too much damage or whatever we, we think ourselves, we can, we can start it at any time. We can work on our attachment at any time. What would you and I love what you said about, it's like, it's not like, well, you do X, Y, and Z, and then it yes. will happen. Like it's, and then it will happen. <laughs> I'm sure like it is individual and using your intuition. Is there anything that you've seen work consistently for a parent if they find themselves mm-hmm. in that position where they're like wanting to create? Yeah. Well, I, like I said, I met him, went to his courses and read his books yeah. and still was like, now what? Like, <laughs> how do I, do you want to come live with me? And then like, you can tell me all of the different times when I'm not doing this and Anyways, so I think part of it is that we have outsourced our personal authority as a people, as a culture. We have so much science. We have so much research. Everything is evidence-backed. There's ingredients on everything. There's descriptions to everything and instructions. And we're like, okay, we need somebody to tell us what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Yeah. And we've kind of outsourced that, like that I know internally that I have power inside of myself, that I have authority that we all do for our own lives, but we also do for our kids. Like when they came to us and we had them, we were given this like intuition, this guidance spirit, whatever you want to call it. Everybody calls it by a different name, but we each have that. And like, how can we tune more into that? And a lot of that is our own work. Why don't I trust myself? How do I think about myself? Because a relationship really boils down to one thing. And that one thing is thoughts. How am I thinking about my child? What do I think they're thinking about me? And this isn't just a child, right? This can be anybody. Mm-hmm. How do I think about them? How do I think they're thinking about me? What do I think about this relationship dynamic? And the most important relationship we can have with anybody is our relationship with ourself because we're bringing that into every other relationship. We're like the common denominator between all the rest of our relationships. So if we can shift that, then they all change. So we want to come in and we want to be like, what do I do with my kids? And how do I get them to load the dishwasher and not be on screen so much? And like all these things, intuition is the answer, but we're blocked from our intuition for a lot of reasons. But the main reason being our own relationship with ourselves is often not that great. Because our, I call it self-concept, but our self-concept was developed in our first like seven, eight, nine years. So it's how were people responding to me? How are they taking care of me? What thoughts did I have about things? What relation, what even experiences I had maybe at school or with friends or with family, or did I see happening? 
I'm developing my whole self-concept during that time. So if we were parented, like most of us were in authoritarian ways, and anytime we showed a big display of emotions, we were shut down. We were yelled at. We were told to be quiet, to be seen and not heard. We were sent to our room. We were grounded. I've talked to people that were beat with wooden spoons, that were whipped with belts, that were hit. That is more common than not from the generation before us that were screamed at. When that happened, what we were learning was emotions. These big emotions must be wrong. I have to try to get rid of them, whatever I can do. And there's something wrong with me. Like I must be wrong that they would respond in this way. And that I'm making them respond in that way. Hmm. But it's me that's making them think and feel that way. So there's a lot that we're bringing from our childhoods. There's so much more than that, but there's all these subconscious beliefs that we bring into now that are affecting our relationship with ourselves that are blocking things like intuition or self-compassion. So anyways, that's kind of its own whole thing, but I see that as what's missing in parenting books. It's like, these are great. And I want to do this. And yes, yes, yes. I agree 100%, but to get there, it's actually healing myself that will help me to parent in a healed way. Yeah. That's deep. (laughs) And so good because yeah, you're right. You don't even, you know, these things that you're bringing with you. Just like when I was just talking to a friend the other day, you bring things into um, a marriage that you don't like Mm -hmm. ways you believe a marriage operates based Mm -hmm. on what you saw growing up. And they could be totally different. And you're like trying to make, Oh, they usually are. My husband is like super quiet and his family's all quiet. And he has one sibling. I have seven Mm -hmm. and my parents were loud and we were all loud. And our family was just so much. And I just thought you always had to yell. I was like, oh no, like that's a conversation. Like, like anger, emotions, like everything was just so much. And my husband was always like, why are you always fighting? Like, why are you mad? Like, I'm not even mad. We can just talk about this. And I'm like, no, like I wanted that back. Like it was such a weird dynamic to figure out, to be like, oh wait, like everything's fine. I don't have to yell to communicate. Like I can actually be seen and heard and validated without expressing anger. So anyways, I, it, it affects everything. Like what we bring in from our past affects how we're responding in every relationship in our life. And oftentimes when I work with people, they find that their relationship with their partner changes with God, if they believe in God, whatever, whatever belief, the system they have that changes, they, so many other things change. They feel more confident because what we're really shifting is that self-concept we believe now in neuroplasticity. We didn't used to like, even in the eighties and nineties, we were just like, you're just born like this and you just stay like this. And we have all this research now that's showing that our brains are actually more moldable than we thought that they were, that we can create new neural pathways, even after our prefrontal cortex is fully developed when we're like, you know, late twenties, early thirties, all of that can still shift and change. And if that's true, then our relationships, our attachment, all of that can change at any stage. Which I think feels two things. Like, I think it can feel overwhelming Mm -hmm. and I think it can feel super empowering too. (laughs) Yes. At the exact same time. (laughs) So I had this Instagram post where I said, when the mother changes everything in the home, home changes, people loved that post and people hated it. And they either loved or hated it. And the people that hated it were like, you're just shaming moms and telling them it's all up to them. And I thought like, oh, I thought it was empowering. I was like, look, (laughs) like we can be the change you guys. But I do, I see both sides of it. It can be both daunting and empowering at the same time because it's what, how we view it, how we think about it. If I think about it, like it's all up to me and I have to be this whole change and it's gonna be hard and it's gonna take a long time. Like that's gonna be daunting. It's not up to us to change all of the wounds that have been passed down to us from like all of the generations past, like now me in my lifetime, I have to like heal everything. That's totally not what healing is. But if we look at it in the more empowering mode of like any change that I make will help every generation beyond me, any tiny little shift that I choose to make, even one thought that I have about myself or about my family or about my parenting can be a huge change. So that can be deciding to go to therapy or counseling that can be hiring a coach that can be reading a book. There's a lot of books now on, on self-healing and how I can do that and how I can change 
my perspective of me and all these things. And it can just be little things. It can be like, I, I just started doing women's retreats. It can be like just deciding I'm going to go to a retreat or something. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't have to be something huge. And it's all those little tiny shifts and changes that we make that over time is what healing is, right? It's like a journey. We're never just like done it and then all healed. And we don't have to do everything all at once. Yeah. That feels way better than, than the first way you described it. Like it's all, yeah, it's all on me. And we already have so much all on us, right? This invisible load of motherhood that we're all carrying. Like we don't need something else, but it actually helps us to do all of that so much better. It helps us to not feel that load so much because I think so much of the information out there is like on do. And when I mean, do I'm saying, think, feel, do how I think creates, how I feel. And that fuels what I do. What you see is the do part. It's like, do this, say this phrase, Mm -hmm. do yoga, go meditate. I do all those things. And they're awesome by the way, but they're awesome because that came from my own journey of like, what am I thinking and how am I feeling? And I think of feeling as like energy. It's like, what am I putting on? Like what energy outfit am I putting on today? And why am I putting that on? Like, what are the thoughts that are creating that? And if I want to change my outfit, then like, how can I do that? So I think the, the work is a lot more in both thoughts and in feelings and less in like the little phrases I should say to my kid or how I respond to them, because we all, we all have that, that intuition that will come as we think and feel something different. I love that. So if you were uh, listening today and you felt like, you know, I do, I do want to make some shifts. I do want to make some changes. Is there anywhere you would suggest a parent to begin? Yes. I think that they should start with them. So I would write your name at the top of a piece of paper and I would, I call this a thought dump. And I would just write down all of my thoughts about myself, like everything. And there might be some good stuff in there. Like, I think I'm actually doing a pretty good job, but the more you write, the more you'll see come up. And we like to, as a society, we're all just about positivity, right? We're like, let's just think positively and let's do positive affirmations. And like that totally has a place, but we also need to like open the drawer that we've been like shoving all of our dark hidden corners in and pretending isn't there. So doing a thought dump, like really dumps all of that out. Like there might be some thoughts in there that shock you. Like, I actually think I'm doing a terrible job or maybe I'm secretly failing and everybody else thinks I'm doing a good job, but I know deep inside I'm not like, there's so many thoughts that are going to be in there. And the first step is to air it out. Brene Brown says that shame is like gremlins. They like to hide in the dark little corners and crevices. And the way that we get rid of them is through bringing them to light. I believe that light is self-compassion, but first of all, the light is like even awareness Like what is in that drawer that I've been like pushing back in and pretending isn't there about myself, Mm -hmm. what is going on about myself? If you struggle to do that with yourself, you can do that with another person. It's really easy to do about the people in your life. Just write down that six-year-old daughter's name. And there's going to be a lot of thoughts that are going to come up. Right. And dumping all of that out to be like, okay, how do each of these thoughts feel in my body? Like, how do I feel when I'm actually wearing this thought? Just like if that thought was an outfit. And how do I show up in that relationship and not even just in that relationship, but like in the world, how do I go to work that day? How do I like, you know, respond to people in my community, my neighborhood, like all of those things shift based on how I'm thinking. So, so first of all, is like dumping it all out and then we can start on shifting those things, but the shift only comes after we're like, even aware we often just walk around as like beings that that like, don't like we're responding constantly to our thoughts as in like, we're acting from our thoughts, but we're not conscious of what those thoughts are and how much they're ruling us. And we just believe them. Like if I have a thought, I'm like, yep, that's true. And like some thoughts come in and they just kind of go out. Cause it's like weird, like pigs are flying or whatever. Like we'd be like, we don't believe that. But if a thought came in, that's like anything to do around, I'm not enough. So even like little sneaky thoughts that sound pretty, like I could be doing more or I should be doing more, or I have more capacity to be doing more. Those are still based in the, I'm not enough. And they're still going to feel really heavy. And when we have thoughts like that, and we're having those heavy feelings, it it is actually keeping us farther away from how we want to show up. We're going to show up in like a totally different way. Like maybe we yell more, maybe we're using a different tone of voice with our kids than we normally would. Maybe we stay up late watching Netflix or like being on social media for hours. Like that 
those actions come from that energy. So the first step is always like, is always our thoughts. You mentioned something um, that I saw when you are overstimulated as a parent, what would you, it might feel like I'm just jumping to that, but to me that it's connected because there, there is so much, I don't know. There's always so much going on with family and your own thoughts. And, you know, if you just feel like overstimulated as a parent, what, what are some things that you do? Yeah. So I do thought work and emotion work kind of separately. I think of them as like, okay, we're kind of ignoring thoughts and we're kind of ignoring feelings and we're just going right to the do. And the do can be helpful, right? Like the do sometimes means sometimes I do need like medication or maybe therapy, or maybe I need yoga or meditation or like phrases to say to my child, but equally, I need to be looking at my thoughts and my feelings. So the work that I just told you about is all thought work and Mm -hmm. that's really powerful, but I actually like emotions work even better because oftentimes we're not we're overstimulated. We're dysregulated. Some people call that dysregulation, or, um, maybe we're a highly sensitive parent and we're like, okay, how do we deal with all of this? And so there is some physical things we can do. Like I will often tell people to wear like little headphones or like noise canceling headphones. And yes, you can still hear your kids. Don't worry. Kids are really loud. (laughs) You'll always be able to hear them. So there's little, there's little tips and tricks you can do, but the biggest thing is to learn how to regulate your emotions first. And so my very favorite tool I'm going to teach you right now, because it's like the best is called zones and zones is like red light, yellow light, green light. So it's just like the lights when I'm in my red zone, that's when I'm super dysregulated, right? Everybody knows what that feels like. I'm like just out of my mind. And this doesn't mean necessarily I'm like screaming and yelling in a rage. This could also be like completely shut down and withdrawn. So it can be either it can go either way, but that's red zone. Yellow zone is when I'm kind of moving. I I'm like getting there but I'm not there yet. I'm like pretty irritated or agitated or a little bit like off, but I'm not all the way there. And then green zone would just be like my calm, really regulated state. And so I have just kind of developed like what helps in each of these zones for me. So I know what it feels like to be in the green zone. I'll even like pause for a minute. Like when I'm feeling pretty calm and just notice like, Oh, how do I feel right now? Like, what is this feeling like right now? And then I can kind of go to my yellow and my red. What do I think? would be helpful and supportive for me there. And there's lots of different things you can do. And I'm sure you can like Google them. I have a book coming out, a mindset journal coming out. That's going to have like just pages of like, these are all the different things you can try, but there's so many. So, um, some people say like holding ice, you can do some like deep breathing. You can do the deep breathing where you actually like make a sound like a, like to stimulate that vocal cord. You have like a vagus nerve that you're stimulating there. It can be like dancing, singing, laying on your back with your feet up against the wall. It's one of the, like the yoga positions. That's really good for your nervous system, but there's lots of different ways that we can regulate our nervous system, but it's going to be really different in yellow than it is in red. Like for me, red is like the only thing that's going to work for me is like leaving the situation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to go into my bedroom or in my bathroom. I'm going to lock the door and I'm just going to like, just be away from it for a bit and maybe breath. <laughs> Breathing is probably the other like most helpful thing for me in that moment. I always encourage people to practice these when they're not in their red and yellow zone. Like, let's just try this. Like, how does this feel? Do I think this would be helpful? And then our body will just like, remember, it'll like go back to that muscle memory. So, so part of regulation is knowing all emotions are okay. They're all valid. Not only are they okay, they're teaching me something. They're like messages communicating something to me. They're important. They're necessary. They're not a problem. I don't need to fix them. I just need to be with them. We don't want to be with them. We do a lot of other things than be with our emotions, right? We numb out. We call that buffering, but it's like anything I'm going to do to not feel this emotion. So part of it is just understanding, like kind of reprogramming that story that we probably are bringing from childhood where we're like, actually emotions are safe. They're valid. It's okay to feel. This is how I feel. And that doesn't mean I'm going to like yell or scream or throw things when I'm feeling that way. That's actually because I'm not allowing myself to feel that I'm reacting that way. So instead, I'm just going to sit and kind of be with this and then just like being really in tune with your body. Like, what does your body want to do? Like, what does your body feel like would be helpful in that moment? This is so good. And I could see, you know, how you said, um, sometimes we hold hold ourselves to such a high standard of maybe the perfect parent, but I could see this could be so useful. Even as as our kids are watching us do this, our kids are watching us learn how to deal with 
these, these emotions or these um, feelings. It's like, oh, that that's how they're learning. Like, oh, I don't, I don't have to be perfect. I can mm-hmm. have, you know, these emotions and this is how I know to process them because this is how I see my mom doing it. Like what a gift to be hey, able to- That's literally how you teach that. We have this entirely wrong. We're like, let me t- teach my kids how to breathe. Let me teach them meditation. Let me read them books about colors. How do I, we have the color monster book. It's actually really good, but we do it in this like external way. Regulation is taught through co-regulation. And that's something I did not know. And I do not think that society knows this. And I'm like, everybody needs to know this. Mm -hmm. The reason that we learn how to regulate is because we have someone who's deeply attached to us and loves us. And even though they're kind of escalated, also they're able to bring themselves back down to that space so that we can both get down eventually, right? We can be that calm, safe space for our child while they're not, while they're feeling all of their big feelings. And over time, they learn that little bit by little bit. And it is over a long time too. I want to say, we want to say that our like six, seven, eight, nine-year-old kids should be able to do this up until about the age of 12, they're using co-regulation more than they're individually able to regulate themselves. And even up until adulthood, like even as parents, we still use co-regulation, not like all the time, but like sometimes when I'm like really overstimulated or really dysregulated, I'm just going to go and like, give my husband a big hug or like, he's going to just be there for me while I cry or whatever. Like we're beings that love that connection with other people. So co-regulation is really important, even in adulthood, but especially with our young kids, not expecting too much of them at too young of an age, it's developmental. They'll learn it eventually. And that they'll learn it through me being able to do it for myself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like that you said that because just yesterday, in fact, my, um, 10 year old, she's almost 11. She was getting really upset about they, and they all like to rope the dummy together. The, this like steer mm-hmm. that we have and, um, she wasn't catching and she was getting really, really upset. And we were talking through like, what are some things that you can do when mm. you're upset? And she was like, nothing was coming to her mind. So I was like, okay, this week, let's do some research. Like, what are some things you can do when you're upset? But I love what you're saying that at her age, maybe it's not so much like it's all up to her to figure it out, but it's like, what can I model for her a little bit more and like do with her and not just. Yeah. And not even do with her, but what is my energy like in that situation? Mm -hmm. I don't even have to say anything to co-regulate like at all. Like I'm looking inwards and I'm noticing that I'm also agitated. We match emotions. So like, I'm going to mirror whatever she's going to be doing. Right. So she goes up into her red energy. I'm going to be up into my red energy or at least almost there. So I'm looking inwards. I'm noticing how I'm feeling. Maybe I put my hand on my heart and I, maybe I just start taking some deep, slow breaths myself. And maybe that's all I do. Maybe I like sit and rub her back and like, whatever, whatever we're going to do, we can kind of do it together, but I don't even have to say anything. And another thing that's important to know about this is that our emotional brain and our logical brain work like a teeter totter. So when I'm high on my emotions, I'll be low on logic. So when we try to um, explain to our kids what they should do in their red zone, or when somebody tries to talk to us in our red zone, like it's not helpful, right? Has your husband ever been like, oh, don't worry. Like, it's going to be fine. And you're like, I just want to be mad right now. Right? (laughs) Like we, our kids do that also. So when they're back in their green zone, like way later, like maybe the next day we can be like, Hey, do you remember yesterday when you were upset about that situation? Like, how were you feeling? And what do you think would have been helpful? Like, and my daughter, I did this with my six-year-old daughter. And she was like, I think it would be helpful for me just to slam my door over and over and over again and scream really loud. And then when I'm ready for you, I'll open the door and you can come in and we can snuggle. And that's what already had kind of been happening anyways. Like Mm -hmm. she mostly would just have a meltdown and slam a lot of doors and yell a lot, but it kind of gave me the permission to be like, okay, like there's, it's not a problem. And I'm in my mind, slamming doors used to be a problem, but I was like, it's really not like she needs something right now. And she knows what she needs. And I'm just going to like validate that she knows what she needs. And I'm just going to sit here and be ready for her when she's ready for me, because we do want to reconnect with them after those kinds of emotional separations. And so having anything we can do afterwards to reconnect is really, is really helpful, but yes, co-regulation. I don't have to really learn anything to co-regulate. I just need to be like more aware of what's happening in my body. And we still can take those teaching moments. I do. I'm like, what do you think would be helpful for you? And they do uncover those things over the years, but a lot of it is just going to be my awareness of me in that moment. 
What would you do? Say if that same scenario, you had asked your daughter, what, mm-hmm. what do you feel like you need to do? And it had been something that you didn't feel was like, okay. Okay. Yes. What? Yeah, like I want to punch my brother 10 yes. times and then go yeah. into my room. And then I would do a little bit of talking about it, but I wouldn't in the moment. Right. So she's back in her green zone. And so I might say something like, how do you think he would feel about that? Or how would you feel if that was happening to you? Or I'll talk about like consent. Like we don't actually touch other people's bodies if they don't want us to, and especially in harmful ways. Right. And we want that for us. So we also want that for them. What's something else that you could do. And I'm going to know exactly what to say for my kid when I'm in my green zone Mm -hmm. also, right? Like I, the words will just come to me and it's probably going to be a lot less lecturing and saying things at them and a lot more questioning and pausing and listening to what's happening for them because emotions are messages for me. And they're also messages for them, right? So if they're feeling really angry, I could be like, what about, what about that was bothering you? Like, why do you think you were feeling that way? And what do you think would be helpful? And my daughter is so good at knowing exactly what she needs. She's like, I was actually just really hungry. Could we just put snacks in the car? And I was like, great idea. So she had a meltdown yesterday. We're going to church and she just was like freaking out. And she went into the car and had a snack. And I mean, it wasn't as lovely as that. It was like an hour long screaming fest and eventually (laughs) ended in the car with a snack. But at, at some other point when she was calm, she had known that that's what she needed. So just like we know what we need, our kids are going to know what we need to, or what they need. And it also helps build that personal authority we were talking about a while ago too, to help them like tune into their own bodies. So good. Okay. I feel like there's a, a million other things we could talk about here, but I know we that- We could do a 20 hour podcast episode. Yes. I promise you. <laughs> but I know that our time grows short. So if you could, well, first of all, I would love people to be able to connect with you and I'll yeah, put- yeah links to, you know, your Instagram and where, where else would people find you? Yeah. So Instagram's like my main spot that in my podcast, I have a podcast called the parenting coach podcast. So I would start at like my first season. Cause I'm going to talk all about what this kind of parenting style really is and why it's hard for us. And then in the second season, I dig into like some of these, these tips, like this is what you can do. And then I interview a bunch of awesome experts. So conscious parenting guru type people. So I'm, I would go check out that also. And then Instagram, the parenting coach podcast or the parenting coach podcast, Instagram's the dot parenting dot coach. And I just created a mindset journal. I mentioned that, but yeah. if you want like a daily practice of like, I wake up in the morning and this is exactly how I can guide my practice of like doing this work that will be perfect. And hopefully it will be out this week. So hopefully I can give awesome. you a link to that okay. um, because I've been working on it for months, like six months. And it's like. 99% done. So those are, yeah, those are the ways you can, you can hang out with me. Okay. Very cool. I'll link all those in the show notes. Is there any, like, do you have a top two or three like parenting books you would recommend? Yeah. So number one, I would say none only because if you've already read parenting books, you don't need a parenting book. You need to tune more into you and your, the answers for you. But if you're like, no, I'm there. Like, I feel good about me. I'm confident in my intuition and stuff. Okay. Then you're allowed to read a parenting book. And <laughs> then I would tell you to say, uh, rest, play, grow for preschoolers or anyone who acts like it by Dr. Deborah McNamara. She works with Dr. Gordon Newfelt. They run the Newfelt Institute and she is fabulous. It's a lot more like applicable, like his book, hold on to your kids is also amazing, but some people find the theory a little bit more dry. If you're a theory person and you love nonfiction, you will love that book. I loved that book, but I've since then given to parents and they've been like, I cannot get through reading it. So rest play grow is another really great one. I think that's really all you need actually. Like, I really don't think they can be helpful and supportive for sure, but I think it's going to be more helpful and supportive to kind of like do your own inner work, inner healing. And that would be different gurus. I would go to like Brene Brown, anything by Brene Brown. And also Sue Monk kid is my favorite author. And she has a lot of nonfiction books. She, she wrote secret life of bees. That's kind of what she's like well-known for, but before she became a novelist, she was a nonfiction author and she has some really kind of, I don't know. I don't know if you can call it healing, but they were healing to me. Her, her books were like the most healing for me. So those are also some great books and yeah, anything I would also suggest like learning more about meditation, either doing guided meditation or even just like kind of releasing the thoughts in your mind type meditation that will help you to have more nervous system regulation throughout the day. So having just like a little bit of daily meditation in the morning 
can be really supportive for the rest of the day. I love your message you've woven throughout this episode of trusting yourself and your own <laughs> intuition, especially when it comes to parenting, because that you're right. It is so easy to be like, I just need the next book or the next, mm-hmm. you know, guru. Yeah. And Not- you don't, you are the guru. That is, <laughs> that should be the theme of this, of this <laughs> podcast episode. You are already the guru. So if you're taking another book because you feel like you don't know enough, then don't, don't do not read any more parenting books. In fact, people are like, what do you suggest now? And I'm like, I don't, (laughs) I don't read parenting books anymore. I do listen to things still. And I I'm still kind of up on, up on that, but it's been so much more supportive in my journey to focus on my healing and my intuition and my awareness of myself, my thoughts, my feelings, learning meditation, and not just only that, but like, what can I do to care for myself Mm -hmm. in like really nourishing ways? Like what fuels me? What am I passionate about? If you do more of that, you will naturally be a better parent. If you do more of like what your soul is speaking to you, 100% you'll be in naturally just become better over there because we like to just give everything to our kids and be burnt out and overwhelmed and stressed. And we actually parent worse. So spending time on you and what fuels you will be like a, a key factor in changing your parenting. I totally believe that too. Okay. The last question, Mm -hmm. if you could give just one final piece of parenting advice, coaching, and maybe that's, maybe that Mm -hmm. was it that you, what you just said, would you add anything to what I would just say, like, just become a little bit more aware of your thoughts. Just like start to notice, like, what am I thinking? What's happening in my brain? We, I was never aware of my thoughts. Like my journey my healing journey started before I found life coaching and it was long and slow and so painful. And as soon as I found life coaching, I was like, oh, this is why that worked. I could have done it so much faster if I knew what I was thinking and if I knew what I was feeling and if I was working on that. So just start to be more aware of what kind of thoughts you have about yourself, others, parenting, family, and there's going to be a lot of good thoughts in there too, but our brains have a negativity bias, which means they're wired more for negative thinking than positive. And so just noticing what those thoughts are, will bring a lot of awareness. I love it. Thank you. This has been so, so good. So thank you again. And everyone connect with Crystal, the parenting coach. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the family brand podcast to say, thank you. We have something really awesome. We'd love to share with you. You know, we often hear from families who will tell us that they just feel so overwhelmed because of the demands that are placed on them. They feel like they're constantly being pulled in so many different directions and spread thin and they're spending time as a family, but they don't feel like it's quality time. They're not really connected and they want to be more intentional. And we can certainly relate because we felt like that at one point in in our family. And so we created a guide that allowed us to really be more confident around how we spend time as a family and what we say yes to and what we say no to. And it's just brought so much more peace into our home. It's made our lives so much more simple. And we want to share it with you. So if you go to familybrand.com forward slash free, you can download the how to take back your family's time guide. And I can promise you, it'll give you more confidence and more peace in your life than your family. One last thing. We feel so inspired when we hear from families that we are making a difference for them. We would love it if you would leave us a five-star rating and a review on the podcast so we can reach even more amazing families. We truly believe that the way we change the world is one family at a time.